The ingredients for this episode are Carmen, Enigma, and Sangria. I'm Andy Anderson, the Mischievous Maestro, and we're mixing up the perfect combination. She's not bad. She's just composed that way. The cigarette-smoking gypsy captured the heart of a Spanish soldier in order to get out of a prison sentence for slashing another girl who worked in the cigarette factory. Unfortunately for the soldier, he followed her into the smuggling business, seethed with rage as she ditched him for a bullfighter in tight, glittery pants, and then finally killed her outside the bullring. We are, of course, talking about Carmen, opera's most famous bad girl. Carmen is an opera in four acts by French composer Georges Bizet. The opera was first performed by the Opera Comique in Paris on March 3, 1875, where its breaking of conventions shocked and scandalized its first audiences. Bizet died suddenly after the 33rd performance, unaware that the work would achieve international acclaim within the following years. The depictions of working-class life immorality, lawlessness, and the tragic death of the main character on stage broke new ground in French opera and was highly controversial. So, Carmen, here in the high court of the mischievous maestro, the charges brought up against you are as follows. Libel, seduction, defamation of character, and manipulation. How do you plead? We, the High Court of the Mischievous Maestro, find you guilty for being a kick-ass woman. So my friends, did I throw you off by saying that Carmen was a kick-ass woman? Well, before we dive into that, let's have a drink. The drink for this episode is the sangria. I mean, it's the perfect drink for Carmen, right? Sangria means bloodletting in Spanish and Portuguese, and the term sangria used for the drink can be traced back to the 18th century. According to the Sage Encyclopedia of Alcohol, Sangria's origins, quote, cannot be pinpointed exactly, but early versions were popular in Spain, Greece, and England. Sangre is a predecessor drink to sangria that was served either hot or cold, likely originated in the Caribbean or the West Indies, and from there was introduced to mainland America, where it was common beginning in the American colonial era, but largely disappeared in the United States by the early 20th century. Sangria as an iced drink was reintroduced to the United States by the late 1940s through Hispanic Americans and Spanish restaurants and enjoyed greater popularity with the 1964 World's Fair in New York City. Now, normally, when you think of a sangria recipe, you think of making it by the pitcher. After all, isn't that how we order it at the tapas restaurants? But this recipe that I'm about to teach you 
is a by the glass. That way you don't feel pressure to drink a whole pitcher by yourself. So to make sangria, you're going to need a bottle of red wine. I use Pinot Noir just because of the fruitiness of the wine, but you can use any red wine. You're going to need apricot flavored brandy, orange juice, and fresh squeezed lemon juice, and simple syrup. So to make this, start by putting ice in a cocktail shaker. And to that, add three ounces of your red wine. One and a half ounces of apricot brandy. Half ounce of orange juice. Half ounce of lemon juice. And finally, a half ounce of simple syrup. Put the lid on your shaker and give it a good shake. To your wine glass, add some diced up apples. And then if you've got some blueberries and raspberries and blackberries and stuff that you want to add in, do that as well. Now strain the contents of your cocktail shaker over into the wine glass and enjoy, my friends, sangria. With a glass of sangria in hand, let's figure out why Carmen is sometimes listed as a villain, but on this podcast, we're listing her as a badass bitch. In order to truly know why Carmen is such a, quote, bad girl, we must first understand the literary genre she falls in. I'm speaking, of course, of femme fatale. Femme fatale literally translates to, quote, disastrous woman. She is an attractive and seductive woman and is one who is likely to cause distress or disaster to a man who becomes involved with her. Femme fatale is characterized as women of great seductive charm, mysterious, subversive, double-crossing, gorgeous, energized, intelligent, powerful, predatory, unreliable, irresponsible, manipulative, and desperate. Carmen is a new type of operatic hero, representing a new kind of love, not the innocent kind associated with the, quote, spotless soprano school, but something altogether more vital and dangerous. Her capriciousness, her fearlessness, and love of freedom are all musically represented in the score. She is redeemed from any suspicion of vulgarity by her qualities of courage and fatalism so vividly realized in the music. It has been suggested that Carmen's character, spiritually and musically, may be a realization of the composer's own unconscious longing for freedom denied to him by his stifling marriage. The American music critic Harold Schoenberg likens Carmen to, quote, 
a female Don Giovanni. She would rather die than be false to herself, end quote. The musicologist Hugh MacDonald wrote that, quote, French opera never produced another femme as fatale as Carmen, though she may have influenced some of Massenet's famous ladies. Hugh MacDonald also suggested that outside the French repertoire, Ricard Strauss' Zalame and Alban Berg's Lulu, quote, may be seen as distant, degenerate descendants of Bizet's temptress. In the opening chapter to American musicologist Susan McClary's book titled George Bizet's Carmen, the language professor Peter Robinson makes the point that the real battle in Carmen is between the sexes. From the very beginning, the woman is marked as the enemy. The battlefield is Carmen's body, and the story raises questions about who shall own her body while describing those who are fighting over it. Robinson suggests there are two exotic anecdotes threaded into the story. The first deals with the notion of the, quote, uncivilized. Accordingly, Carmen, the gypsy girl, and the nomad smugglers are portrayed as violent, disorderly, superstitious, and diabolical. The second anecdote is concerned with order, rationality, and logic. These characteristics are represented by Don José. He epitomizes the hallmarks of French civilization. These elements, which compose the structure of the story, are linked to control and mastery. As I said earlier, Carmen is sometimes seen as the female equivalent of Don Giovanni. In his book, A Song of Love and Death, the Australian literary scholar Peter Conrad says that both characters are impelled to remain eternally in motion, pursuing, in Don Giovanni's case, and maneuvering in Carmen's. They can only be truly satisfied in death. The image of the gypsy figure was very attractive in 19th century France because of the political strife. The French had suffered a civil war in the year 1848, followed by the Franco-Prussian War. This war brought a great defeat to France and placed the country in a humiliating position in world power. After the war with Germany, there was an eight-month rise to the Communist Party known as the Paris Commune. The Commune was a movement to counter the government of Versailles, which was implemented after the overthrow of Napoleon. In Paris, anti-bourgeois attitudes were rising again, and the resulting massacres were leaving thousands of citizens dead in the streets. 
Ambiguity was what made gypsy life so attractive. Gypsies were renegades from a pre-modern culture who did not have to live within the bounds and structures of a modern Western society. A character like Carmen defied the lines of social class and authority in a time when the French government had partial responsibility for the carnage of the commune. And her gypsy community were a threat to society because of the unrestrictive, obscure life that they led. Gypsies, Jews, and other ethnic minority groups were considered outsiders and aliens, even if they lived on French soil. These ethnic minority groups became a more prevalent force when the bourgeois employers extended employment to them due to the revolutions of 1830, 1848, and 1871. While they were functioning members of society, they were considered inferior to the white French population and required to stay in their place. They were feared and labeled a danger because they straddled the line of European and other, and their communities were seen as an outlet for lechery and corruption. They spoke the French language but also remained fluent in their native tongues. Don José represents order with the power to destroy, while Carmen represents the people of the commune who defied the law and fell victim to the government in the end. Side note, if you want a recent pop culture reference to what I was just talking about with the French government and the gypsies, think of the 2000 masterpiece movie Chocolat starring Johnny Depp and Juliette Binoche. Think about the way that the gypsies were treated in that small French village. Also, this is interesting, we're recording this episode right now during Holy Week, and that movie takes place during the season of Lent. The life of a gypsy, or in French, la vie bohème, portrayed in Carmen was also a personal expression for Bizet himself, for two reasons. First, he was not accepted by his wife's family and was referred to as a, quote, bohemian and an outsider. And second, as a member of the French military, he had experienced the political massacre firsthand and expressed in letters to his mother-in-law his distaste for society, first with Napoleon, then with the government under Adolf Thiers, and lastly, with the bloodshed that was occurring during the Commune.
One of the great moments of the opera actually takes place within the first few minutes of Act One, kind of like Bizet's other popular opera, The Pearl Fishers, where the best music takes place in the first 15 minutes. But anyway, I digress. When we first meet Carmen, she sings one of opera's most famous arias, the Habanera. It's here that we first learn of her, quote, thoughts on love. What's interesting about this song is that the person singing it at first doesn't seem like she is a bad person. Carmen is a lusty, fun-loving gypsy girl and title character of the opera who flirts with and begins a love affair with a Spanish soldier named José. Towards the beginning of the opera, Carmen is asked for by many young and desperate suitors, but she scorns them playfully with a song set to a habanera dance. In her song, Carmen sings about the contradictions and craziness of love. Most notably, she declares, quote, If you do not love me, then I love you. But if I love you, take guard yourself. José, at first, does not love Carmen, but that changes. And once that changes, things start to go wrong for José. Carmen's passionate and flighty nature leads to many complications, and she goes from a mischievous heroine to a cruel and debauched villainess by the time the story ends. The song is a fine piece of foreshadowing set to a catchy beat that is as foreboding as it is fun. A translation of the lyrics, quote, Love is a rebellious bird that nobody can tame, and you call him quite in vain if it suits him not to come. Nothing helps, neither threat nor prayer, One man talks well, the other's mum. It's the other one that I prefer. He's silent, but I like his looks. Love is a gypsy's child. It has never, ever known a law. Love me not, then I love you. If I love you, you'd best beware. The bird you thought you had caught beat its wings and flew away. Love stays away and wait, you wait. When least expected, there it is. All around you, swift, so swift, it comes, it goes, and then it returns. You think you hold it fast, it flees. You think you're free, it holds you fast. Love is a gypsy's child. It has never, ever known a law. Love me not, then I love you. If I love you, you'd best beware. 
So friends, what did we learn? Well, I, for one, will never think of Carmen as just another operatic bad girl. Sure, she has her problems, but maybe she's just another byproduct of her surroundings. Or is she? Maybe she just only cares about herself and therefore doesn't care who she ruins along the way. Or she's just making sure that she is always able to better herself and her circumstances. In our next episode, the High Court of the Mischievous Maestro will be hearing the case against Verity's terrible tenor, the Duke from Regaletto. Until then, continue to stay safe, my friends, and as always, stay thirsty for knowledge. The Mischievous Maestro podcast was researched and written by me, Andy Anderson. Recording engineer and co-producer is Ryan Hall. Art director and co-producer is Jefferson Reidenauer. Very personal assistant to The Mischievous Maestro and co-producer is Megan King. Production assistant, co-producer, and all-around great guy is Yvonne Kahnem. Publicist for Andy Anderson is Jonathan Blaylock. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite platform to get all of the upcoming episodes with exciting drinks. To learn more about The Mischievous Maestro and for the drink recipes, don't forget to visit our website, themischievousmaestro.com, and follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The Mischievous Maestro is so much more than a podcast, it's a lifestyle. And I would like to remind you to please drink responsibly. If you're not old enough, don't do it. And if you are old enough, do it in moderation. And if you're having a bad day and refuse to drink in moderation, then please follow these simple rules for overindulgence. Don't drink and drive. Please don't drink too much and then email your boss asking for a raise. And please, for all that's holy in the world, don't drink too much and then drunk text your ex at 3 a.m. This podcast is the sole property of the mischievous maestro and may not be used in whole or in any part without the expressed written permission of Andy Anderson.